imagine sitting in the park in the heat Stomach empty, starving to eat Palms are sweaty, heart starting to beat About to get beheaded cause you didn't take the mark of the beast Bill Gates doesn't care about black teens He's trying to alter our DNA by giving us vaccines These elite Satanists are the psychoists They preparing our bodies to accept the microchip Can you imagine walking into a Wells Fargo Not being able to withdraw money because you ain't got a barcode your right hand or your forehead if you don't take the mark of the beast you're gonna fall to the floor dead head cut off bodies squirming our own government acting like nazi germans they want us to live in fear filled with uncertainty one world government under one currency i can categorically say that this is end times this virus is breaking us down just like an enzyme there's pedophiles leaving men and women childrenless these politicians are dummies and the devil's a ventriloquist Stemming from Epstein's Island Gavin Newsom ain't your governor He's a tyrant He took away everything That makes us happy and vibrant And put a mask on us To keep us silent Can you imagine sitting in the park in the heat Stomach empty Starving to eat Palms are sweaty Heart starting to beat About to get beheaded Cause you didn't take the mark of the beast Bill Gates doesn't care about black teens He's trying to alter our DNA By giving us vaccines These elite Satanists Are the psychoists to accept the microchip. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Josh and Jason Monday Christian and Conspiracy Podcast Show. I'm your host, Josh Monday. If you don't know me, I'm a Christian rapper, devoted husband, and father. And uh, my co-host today is actually at a birthday party. What's up, Jason? I hopefully you hear this episode and uh, and you're and you're having a good time, man. Um, and today we have a very special guest for you guys. He's an author, amazing researcher, <laughs> and um, an amazing interviewer as well. Uh, it's going to be Timothy Alberino. His book is uh, Birthright. If you guys could please check this book out. Um, he, he's, you know, like I say, he's doing this for free, just hopping on the show. And I hope we do, you know, some, some in the future as well, but how's it going, Timothy? Uh, it's going well. Apparently my camera just got all blurry. <laughs> yeah, it's all right. <laughs> it's all good. I, I think that's happened on the blurry creatures when I was watching that interview too. <laughs> it's because so. I moved to the side and it, I guess, I guess it's got the automatic focus on and oh, okay. I don't know if I can un refocus this or what. Okay. Okay, it looks like it's getting a little better. Excuse me. Anyways, so I I heard a bunch of different interviews that you've done. Um, I've had so many people request to have you come on the show. I uh, just first off want to say thank you so much for coming on. I do appreciate you uh, taking the time out. Um, oh, there you go. It refocused now. I reset it, yeah. <laughs> okay. So, um, so, guys, I had a couple of verses I'd like to go over before we start the show. Um, I think it'll go with what I think he's going to go, you know, go into at the, at the end, I believe, um, it's going to be second Corinthians 11 verses three through four, but I fear less somehow as the serpent deceive Eve by his craftiness. So your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus, whom, uh, we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit, which you have not received or different gospel, which you have not accepted, uh, you may well put up with it. Uh, you may well put up with it. Okay, so we have that, and um, also we have Second Corinthians thirteen or Second Corinthians eleven thirteen through fifteen. 
uh, for such all false apostles deceive deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And uh, no wonder for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministries uh, also transform themselves into ministries of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. So, all right, Timothy, if, if you want to get into it, I, I kind of wanted to, you know, it's, it's just me and you today, so I have no co-host. So uh, I kind of wanted to see if you could kind of go over, uh, you know, your, some of the stuff that's in your book. You know, I, I would like to get into like UFOs because I know that's kind of a big thing that happened lately where they're kind of giving disclosure on that. And, um, you know, kind of get into that if that's all right. Sure. Uh, thanks for having me on. Um, my book is it's sort of an eclectic mix of different topics that I weave together in the course of the narrative. And it's, uh, it begins, it begins in the beginning before the creation of Adam. And, uh, I talk about a pre-Adamic landscape. I believe that Adam was born into a conflict. He was born into a scenario that that history didn't begin with the creation of mankind rather adam is a is a player in the in the production in other words um when adam showed up on the scene other things had transpired previously um i think most christians have the notion that he, the human species was created at the very same moment as as the rest of the universe. And um, although I, I respect that position, um, I once held it myself, I've changed my mind. And you were asking me earlier about my, my cosmology, and I think maybe that's what you were referring to. Um, I did change my mind, and I began to realize that the Bible makes references to it, intimates uh, that there's a long history preceding mankind. And, and part of that history is this epic galactic conflict that happened in the cosmos and and mankind was created in the aftermath of this event and there is a very specific purpose for which mankind was created so we fit into the procession of time um and uh, i liken our appearance on the timeline as um like a like a float in a parade rounding the bend that we're not we're not leading the parade but we are we are in the parade we're one of the features in the parade and the creation of adam was an event that happened in the course of time and so um that's sort of how i i, I set the stage for things that um for the for the main topic of the book which is the birthright of mankind and that's why the book is called birthright it's referring to the birthright of mankind what is the birthright of mankind what does it mean to be a human being and uh, in short our birthright is dominion of the earth we were given dominion of the earth very clearly in in the scriptures and we were in fact created to have dominion of the earth we were created to govern and we were created as in the beginning adam and eve were created as sons of god a, a son and a daughter of god and in fact, Adam was was a member of a divine family. There were other sons of God that preexisted us. That's clear from the book of Job. The sons of God shouted for joy when the earth was created. So there's these Amen. 
extraterrestrial entities called the sons of God, the Benai Ha Elohim, who are witnessing the creation of earth and who are shouting for joy. So this obviously precedes us, and I think by vast um, epochs of time. And so we were created, Adam was created to be a son of God, and this is made plain in the genealogy of Jesus of Nazareth, which traces his genealogy both in Matthew and Luke, all the way back through David, of course, King David, through the uh, Abraham and then the pre-flood patriarchs, all the way through Enoch and all the way through Seth, all the way to Adam. And um, Adam is in this genealogy described as the son of God, a son of God. And therefore, Adam was created to be a part of this family. You know, this terminology, when we talk about sons of God, the terminology uh, that's used not just in the New Testament, but also in the Old, is not, it's not there by happenstance. It's not incidental. It's very intentional. And so when when we're confronted with terms like sons of God, it's be, it's familio. It's meant to indicate that there's this family, there's this divine family. And within this family, the members of this family are siblings. They're brothers and sisters in this family, and they're created for a very specific purpose. And not all things, not all creatures in the universe are created to be members of this family. But we were. Adam was. He was a son of God, mm -hmm. uh, a younger sibling in this family. Because remember that the sons of God preexisted Adam. They shouted for joy when the earth was created. And so um, that's sort of how I get things going in the book is I I, I talk about the, the pre-Adamic landscape, what I believe occurred before the creation of Adam, how Adam fits into this timeline. And then um, I talk about the purpose of mankind and it just sort of snowballs from there. I talk about uh, obviously the, uh, the, the Genesis six affair um, and the the Enochian tale, the fall of the Watchers, the giants, um, and then the resurgence of the empire of the gods in modern times, and the the um, machination, the machination of the elite, of the Luciferian elite, mm. aliens, um, transhumanism. It's so, like I said, it's it's you know. Uh, I haven't even given you an adequate synopsis. It's very, very <laughs> complex and maybe a little too complex. Um, but uh, it's very sometimes it's, it's actually very difficult to explain uh, all encapsulate that. what's lot, what's in yeah. what's in the book. But so there's a lot. But but what it does is when I'm on shows like when I'm talking uh, to people like like yourself, it, it it opens up a very large playing field. There's a lot of topics to discuss if you want to, you can weave in and out and, and of all different kinds of topics, topics, and it all sort of stays within the boundaries of, of the book I wrote, um, uh, which makes for good conversations. Yes. Which is awesome. Okay. So I have a few questions from what you went over so far. So you, there would have to be the gap theory that you'd have, do, is that what you believe uh, in, in the beginning? Because in that, is that where you believe that, 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 that cosmic war was happening? Well, the so-called gap theory is simply, it simply posits that before, let me re-say that, the gap theory posits that what we see in Genesis, the six-day creation, is not a, a, a an initial creation, but rather a renewal yeah. of the earth 
mm-hmm. which is which is teetering in a state of um in in a in a state of complete ruin in the aftermath of judgment yeah and um that what we find is this process of renewing that happens and the planet is brought back to life and and then mankind is created to govern the earth mm-hmm. and so the gap there is really just it's it's a, it's a it's a different perspective. It's looking from a different angle yeah. at the beginning of Genesis, rather than seeing this continuation from the, you know, from the initial singularity, the creation of the universe to the creation of mankind in six days. What the gap theory posits is that the the beginning of Genesis states that the universe was created, and then something happened it yeah. there's this that's what they call the gap there's this yeah. uh intimation that something occurred and now we're beginning the story of mankind and the earth is in a state of ruin utter ruin post judgment yeah. so that's what's meant by the gap theory that yeah. there's a gap between genesis 1 and and genesis 2 um in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth period and the earth became desolate and empty, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. So it's this sequence of events. So it's a different perspective. Rather than reading it as a one continuous yeah. event, um, and I do subscribe to this theory, I see it as, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth full stop. That's that's the statement. That's what happened in the beginning and then the next thing that that we begin to learn about is we the, the scene op- now opens up on the earth in a state post cataclysm and um and when you when you read the book i i trace this it's hard to remember all the verses and all the and all the different uh um uh, all the different uh, uh the different things that go into the 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 gap theory the yeah. different arguments, the different points of view. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's some, there's some. Uh, I know because what I was, what I was asking, because some people believe that uh, the the prior Earth, when it was before, you know, that basically the angels and 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 Satan were on the Earth before, and then the gap theory happened. Then, then it was desolate because of the judgment on them. Is that the pre-Adamic race that you're talking about? Yes, but um, it's okay. not limited to the Earth. You know, okay. the Bible makes reference to Miros and to Rahab. And uh, again, I trace these ideas in the book, mm-hmm. and I believe that there are strong intimations in the Old Testament of this massive conflict that happened in the cosmos okay. and led to the destruction of the earth pre-Adam. Okay. And, and required, that's why the earth was in a state of utter ruin, and, 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 and the opening verses of Genesis, the preceding verses after that first verse, are the process of renewing the earth, restoring the earth, and and then uh, appointing a governor to rule the earth, and that would be Adam, a new a new species, mankind, to govern the earth. And so, I don't believe that it's we're just talking about the earth when we talk about a state, a a cataclysmic state post judgment. I think we're talking about the unit the 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 solar system being in a state of absolute uh, ruin and uh, and that uh, the entire, you know, 
the entire solar system was affected by what had occurred previous to the creation of mankind. In fact, I believe that the asteroid belt between Mars and Jupiter was a planet that the Bible identifies as Rahab. Mm. And, uh, um, and that, uh, you know, Mars was utterly obliterated, for example. Mars was obliterated. Venus was obliterated. These planets in our vicinity in the neighborhood of the Earth were absolutely obliterated, as was the Earth. In fact, the Bible makes very interesting references to the references to the to this um the earth is portrayed as a spectator in 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 a, in a few accounts again which i which i document in the book in which the earth is witnessing the destruction that is wrought in the wrath of god and and that destruction again i believe was the was the uh, the implosion the 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 implosion or explosion of the planet Rahab, and uh, and as as bizarre as this sounds, this is actually not <laughs> it's, a new idea. It's it's an ancient idea, actually. We're, and uh, the there are sects of ancient Jews who also believed that Rahab was a planet, Miros oh. was a planet, that there was this great conflict in the cosmos um, that that led to the destruction of of these worlds that were inhabited. And so I write about in my book, I use this phrase, which I find interesting because I've never, I never encountered this phrase, but then I realized that it was, uh, it was, uh, it was an idea that is actually not that uncommon among theologian, theologians. And that phrase is plurality of worlds. I, I, I subscribe to the notion that there is a, there are a plurality of worlds and that the Bible speaks very clearly about this reality that the that our world that the earth is not the only realm there are multiple realms or there are there, that's why i say there's a plurality of worlds and so it's that that phrase that i learned actually just recently having written the book in 2020 that wow. the this notion of a plurality of wor worlds has been debated um uh, among uh, among different uh, sects in, in christianity and in denominations and so forth and so um that's sort of a, a piece of the puzzle that I that I that I try to uh fit into place in the narrative of the book in the course of the book and so what I mean by a plurality of worlds is that um you know the Bible talks about princes and um, there's and a handful of places where the Bible talks about princes in fact in the book of Daniel the Son of God is referred to as the prince of princes that's a, one of the titles and this is one of the less lesser known titles for the son of god he's called the prince of princes and um we have this term that that in english is rendered as principality and i grew up in a charismatic non-denominational church my father was a pastor and my entire life i was taught that principalities are entities that principalities are like demonic entities or they're they're some christians uh imagine them to be these super powerful uh high-ranking demonic entities and so when i when i when i began to to think about the content of my book years and years ago when I was a, a young man living in the Amazon, 
Um, not not that young of a man anymore. When I was 18, 19 years old, living in the Amazon, so this was a long time ago, 20 years ago, um, I began to, to, to sort of rethink some of these things. Um, the word principality really struck me because it, it was... It was thrown around so haphazardly that that I wondered if there was some sort of a solid understanding for it from the scriptures. And, and it turns out that that there is, but it's not the one that that we think. See, the word principality does not denote an entity. Mm -hmm. A principality is a realm governed by a prince. Mm -hmm. And that's all it is. It is a realm. It's a realm governed by a prince. That's what the word principality means. And that's all it means. It does not indicate some kind of an entity. And so now just plug those two thoughts together that I just laid out. You have the Bible making reference in, in multiple occasions, both in the Old and New Testament, of princes. Mm -hmm. Jesus himself is called the prince of princes. So there are princes. And now plug in the other term that the New Testament uses, principalities. So what you have are realms governed by princes, mm -hmm. realms, multiple principalities. And so and so I think we're missing a big piece of the puzzle here, which is which which has to do with the fact that, as I said in the beginning, we were born into this conflict. We were born into this scenario. It didn't all just pop into existence with us. We're latecomers to the stage. And we've 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 entered we've entered into this narrative, and uh, and and the story, by the way, is not about us. We're not the primary protagonist of the story. It doesn't revolve around us. And this is what I refer to as the the uh, anthropocentric versus the Christocentric perspective in the scriptures in the beginning of my book, because most Christians, me included. That's, For many years, I had a anthropocentric perspective of the universe. I have that as well. That's what I and have the, right now. <laughs> and of the scriptures, I, I had that perspective. And that is a perspective that places man. That's what anthro means, man. Yep. Yeah. Anthropocentric places man at the center of the universe. And so you can imagine the universe like a hub, like a, I'm sorry, like a wheel. And, and at the hub of that wheel, at the center of that wheel, in many of our minds is mankind. We're it. We're the reason. We're the center. We're the we're the we're the primary protagonist, the principal character in this story. And everything that's happening is revolving around us. And I realized again, this occurred to me when I was 19 years old in the Amazon. I say 18 to 19 because the first time I went was when I was 18. Then I went back the next year and and stayed there for an extensive period of time. Um, this occurred to me in the Amazon that that we. It's not our story. We are ancillary characters in the story. We're important characters. We're main characters, but we not we are not the principal character. And that, in fact, the principal character is the son of God, according to Colossians 1.15, that all things were created by him and through him and for him. For him and Amen. he is before all things yes and in that. him all things consist yeah. so jesus is literally the center of creation it was made by him and through yep. him and most importantly for 
He's, him. He's also the image of the invisible God, right? So when it says that's that right. we're made in his image, we're basically made in 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 the sons of God's image, right? In Jesus' Bingo. image. So I agree with that. Bingo. And I, that's I, right. also, I have the anthro I don't know how you say it, anthrop anthropic anthropocentric. Anthropocentric. Okay, sorry. I, I've heard it as anthropic, but uh I have that right now. Obviously, I'm open to learning new stuff. I my me and you are like because I've actually gone on a show where I was I was talking to somebody and they were trying to debate me on the gap theory. I personally have like a um uh I, I was gonna I was wondering, okay, when you go through Genesis, right? Do you believe in a six-day literal creation? Uh is is that how you believe? I mean, do you believe that? Like, do you believe I believe in a six-day renewal of the earth? So okay. so so I would subscribe to a to a six-day renewal. Although I am I am I am open. To, for example, Hugh Ross's perspective that that you're looking at six long days, six so-called long days, six ages of creation. Yeah. And uh, as much as people like to dispute that, it's perfectly uh, reasonable within the, within the context of of the scriptures. Mm -hmm. it, it it is as strong a position as a literal six days, and um, uh, so I'm 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 open to that as well. So. I don't really take a, a hardcore position. Uh, it's not something that matters that much to me. Um, I know that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And I know that all of that was done through his son. Yeah. And for his that, son. And the Holy so, Spirit as well, right? So, right. So I got the message, right? I got yeah. the message. And that's what's important is that that's the message, the, the theological messaging that we are supposed to walk away with is that God created everything and he did it uh -huh. through his son. Yeah. And and of course, the fact that he did it through his son isn't revealed until, you know, until the New Testament. So the writers of the Old Testament, they knew that God, that Yahweh had created the heavens and the earth, but they had not it, they had not it had not yet dawned upon them that he did it through his but, only begotten son. But they knew it was plural, though. They knew it was Elohim. Right. So it would say God's right there instead of just God. Yes. Too, right. So they were probably yes. like. What is what's up with that? I mean, that. Had well, to I don't believe that. The, I don't believe that that references the Trinity. I wow. would subscribe to uh, Michael Heiser's perspective on this, that you're talking about uh, the divine council. You have the king and his council. Yeah. And it's the king addressing his council. Let us create man in our image. And, okay. and that and that is interesting because let us create man in our image, collectively, our image, because remember, wow. it's a family. Yeah. And all the sons bear the image of their father. Yeah. And the and as you so rightly said, Jesus is the express image of yeah. the father. Yeah. That means so, that we are all essentially created in the likeness of the Son of God, because yeah. Jesus says that no one has can see the Father, nor has ever seen the Father. Yes. He dwells you, in unapproachable light. I believe that in truth. I believe that the Father exists outside of creation. Yeah, and yeah. see, the Son of God, his Son, who was with him from the beginning, in his bosom from the beginning, Jesus was with the Father from the beginning, mm -hmm. that his son is within creation because creation was created through him and for him. And so the son of yeah. God is inside of creation. The father yeah. is outside of creation. Yeah. And the only, that's why the only way you can possibly know the father is through the son, because Jesus says that no man knows the father Amen. except the son. Yes. And so and it does say no one has seen the invisible God too. Right. And, and they've saw, they saw Jesus. So, you're right. I think I I think that's a good that's a good analogy on that. So, man, interesting. I I personally I'll let you know where I'm at. Um, 
I personally believe in a six day creation, the gap theory. I'm I'm not, I'm, I'm still learning about, but I, I don't, I don't believe that yet, but I'm always open to learning new things. I have a, I mean, my, my cosmology is different than yours and everything, but I'm still tracking on, on, on a lot of the stuff that you're saying, you know, I'm, uh, I'm, um, you know, I, I, my cosmology is more like I take the Bible literal. Uh, you know, when I read, well, you it, don't uh, take all of the Bible literal. You take some of the no, Bible. Literal. I take some of it. Yeah. So, but it's okay. I, I, I want to learn new things. So that's why I have you on here to kind of have my audience. Cause a lot of people that listen to this are biblical flat earthers. A lot of people are geocentric. A lot of people, you know, so it's good to learn new things and, and, and have, uh, you know, I don't have any problem with flat earth theory or I'm, I'm actually or, a biblical, I'm a biblical flat earther myself, but yeah. I'm, and I, oh, and I, a lot of, you know, I have a lot of friends and, 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 uh, uh, people that i that i know uh who subscribe to flat earth i don't and, yeah. and i have a long laundry list of reasons why i don't yeah i'm 100 yeah. wholly convinced that the earth is is round yeah um for for again many different reasons but um but uh i would never belittle somebody's no. somebody's no, no, me neither me neither that's what i'm saying it's good it'll show that we can have a great conversation still and and i'm and i'm 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 going through Genesis as you're reading, and I'm just I'm kind of thinking of questions. What about this? Like, you know, when he when he did create man and woman, right? And on day six, uh, do you believe that that was separate event than when he created Adam and Eve, or do you think that that was when he created? You know, Adam some people, Eve? the Bible, the Book of Genesis. One thing you have to understand about the Book of Genesis is there are two disparate creation stories in the Book oh. of Genesis. There are there, there isn't just one. There's two, but oh. possibly more, but there's definitely two, and so. And that's not to say that they're not talking about the same event, event, but there are two stories. And this is something that scholars have known for a long time. And this is well established mm -hmm. and people can look into that and you'll, you'll see what I mean. Um, so, you know, I don't believe that uh, things are as straightforward as we think. Uh -huh. Things are not as straightforward as certainly is not, uh, not as straightforward as, forward as we want them to be. Um the book of Proverbs says, Proverbs says, I'm sorry, I'm a little bit, it's, it is, uh, 1040 at night. So I'm a little bit slow. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. Yeah. Guys, and and that's my fault. My anyway. kids. <laughs> I'm sorry. The book it's of okay. Proverbs. I'll, I'll cover wherever you feel like you're tired. Just tell me and I'll jump in. <laughs> I'll be all right. I'm, I'm drinking a little bit of caffeine here. So hopefully my brain will, will wake up a little bit. Um, the book of Proverbs says that it is the glory of God to conceal a mm. thing. Yeah. Think about that. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, and it is the glory of kings to search a thing out. Mm -hmm. Now, take that understanding that it's God's glory to conceal something, and then couple it with the understanding that so many times in the Bible we're told um, that uh, he who has wisdom, let him understand, for example, is a phrase that's used in, I believe, Revelation. Mm -hmm. We're told in Revelation to, to calculate the number of the beast. We all think it's 666, but I happen to think it's 6 times 6 times 6. You're supposed to calculate. Um, so, and this that's just one example off the top of my head of so many examples in the Bible where you are not being told uh, plainly what what is being communicated in the substrate of the text in other words um this is the nature of of prophecy for example the nature 
of prophecy is esoteric. It's esotericism. Mm -hmm. And esoteric esotericism means to 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 conceal something. The nature of prophecy is not plain speak. It's not, you know, in such and in such a year, a a a man named Alexander the Great is going to become the king of the Greeks and and defeat the Persians. That's the kind of that's the kind of plain speak that you and I are familiar with because we live in the modern world, and anything else seems ridiculous to us. Um, speaking in riddles and dark sayings that seems is ridiculous. It's just you know uh, we we much prefer to to have things straightforward and clear and not abstract because we're we're modern people we're modern thinkers the enlightenment has caused us to be um very scientific in our thinking we look at we look at things from like a data perspective okay let's look at what this text says this text says a b and c right mm -hmm. okay yeah. that's what it means but that's not the way that the ancients communicated that the wise communicated in the ancient world and the best example of this is is myth the mythos of different ancient civilizations and we know that myth encapsulates information it encodes information mm -hmm. so these ridiculous myths and of course again we as moderns we view these myths like the like the the greek myths as preposterous because they are and they were meant to be taken literally by the lay people by the uninitiated and the meaning the true meaning the unpacking of the myth was only known to the wise mm. was only known to the to the initiated and that's the nature of a myth that's why these roman and greek and and some of the other um babylonian and some of these other myths um seem so ridiculous it's because they encapsulate what i would call scientific information information regarding um uh, the, the procession of the equinox information regarding certain constellational and, and celestial phenomena information regarding um what we would today call alchemy but really really I should rephrase that what we might be tempted to call alchemy, but in reality, what is simply chemistry. And I would refer those who are listening to Isaac Newton's work where he, uh, he took a, a particular myth that was a Roman myth and it had to do with the God Vulcan. And he, he believed that the myth was encoding knowledge on how to produce a certain alchemical substance. And this is why he burned down his room at, uh, was it Oxford or Cambridge? I can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, because uh, he was involved in, in, in alchemy and he was trying to figure some of these things out. And in fact, we now know today that Newton was right. That some of these myths actually encode uh, chemistry. And so um, the myths were actually designed to be passed along in the general populace, but never understood by them, mm -hmm. only understood by the initiated, who could yeah, then take the, the myth and unpack it. Okay. Now, whether we like it or not, that is precisely the way 
that prophecy works in the Old Testament. Now, prophecy is 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 iconographic. It's symbolic. And in order to understand prophecy, in order to interpret, let's say, the book of Daniel, you need to have the ciphers. And the ciphers are the cultural context in which it was written. And so if you understand, for example, why the cherub is depicted with four faces, see, the layperson would, would read that and say, and this was me, and I'm not a wise person. I'm not saying that I am. Believe me. And I hope you're far, not. Far, I hope you're not initiated either. <laughs> no, far. I'm initiating the gospel of Christ, which no, is the greatest. Just, bro, I'm just. I'm totally mystery. I don't want so, you to be Babylon initiated. Any of that, bro? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I didn't even graduate high school, man. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. So, I, I dropped out. Um, I do have a diploma though. I, they sent me one. Um, that's a whole other story, but so. Prophecy is encapsulated, and it has to be extracted. It's like a zipped folder on a computer. And so if we walk away thinking that, you know, if you if I send you a, uh, an encrypted folder, you get a zipped folder on your computer, and that folder has a name. And if the name is, you know, pictures, well, on the face of it, you'll walk away saying, oh, I know what this is. This is a folder about pictures. Uh -huh. But until you... But until you unzip that folder and unpack its contents you have no idea what it really what what's what the content really is inside yeah. of that folder correct yeah all you understand is the superficial you don't have any understanding of the of the of the unpacking and the depth of 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 what's in that folder so that is the nature of prophecy again whether we like it or not it's esoteric by nature it is the glory of god to conceal a thing and man does yeah. he conceal I, things no and I, I believe i believe you have to have you have to read all the scriptures and have a great foundation to be able to when you lead up to that prophecy to be able to extract that information study to show thyself approved to, to be able to even understand it a bit and it takes a long time That's in some cases years. sure some people read the bible for 40 to 50 years uh, and they're gonna have a different uh, perception of prophecy than when they started you know 10 years ago you know in so. some cases in many cases you can you, this is the famous this of course is the famous formula that you use i should say the orthodox formula that you use scripture interpret scripture right yeah well the problem is when interpretation requires things that are outside of scripture yeah cultural context for for one thing yeah yeah so yeah. when when an interpretation requires co cultural context you don't have enough you need to understand what these symbols meant in the ancient Near East yeah. at the time when this prophecy when this prophecy was recorded, because those are those are part of the cipher. Yeah. And so we make the mistake as Westerners, as Western Western Christians, we've come up with this formulaic thing that Scripture interprets Scripture, and it does in many cases. But that doesn't mean that the, that's that's it. That's the that 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 is the fail safe. Yeah. Um, procedure you have to have other elements as it pertains to prophecy and and um and again those are going going to be primarily cultural elements that were existent in the world and in that neighborhood when the prophecy was written because the prophecy was first written to the people who lived at that time and through a person who lived at that time 
Um, and so when the Son of God came to the earth, so here you have, let's remember who the Son of God was according to Colossians and also according to uh, to John, to the Apostle John. The Son of God is what I call, he's the singularity. He is the source of all creation, as we said. He is that all things were created by him and through him and for him, and in him all things consist. And so this person is born on earth, walking among mankind. This is the architect of the universe walking among us. And how does he speak to us? In parables. Yeah, well, yeah. And and I, well, that's, he also, yeah, I think, I think it's interesting because, uh, he does speak in parables to us. Yeah. And he, and he wants you to, to be able to study, to show thyself approved on that too, you know, but I think he's also talking to, uh, you know, because he has to speak in certain ways because, because he has, um, Pharisees at all times listening and trying to catch up on lies and all that. I'm not stuff talking about the too. Pharisees. I'm talking about his disciples. Because Just speaking his, to the disciples. Okay, okay. He would speak to his disciples, to his disciples in parables. Yeah. And, and and we knew that they weren't understanding a lot of what he said because there's I, I wish I could I should have it up here in front of me. There's a particular time when he's talking to his disciples, and one of his disciples says, Now you're finally talking to us plainly. <laughs> now we finally now you're now you're finally speaking in a way that we can understand. In other words, you're not you're not being obscure, you're not being abstract, you're not being esoteric in the way that you talk to us, you're not speaking to us in parables, and you get the sense that you know that uh that they're wishing so bad that 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 jesus would yeah. speak to them plainly seriously yeah and that one time you know and i'm sure there were more than one occasion but but on this occasion when he speaks to them plainly they're so relieved and excited <laughs> so even jesus is speaking cryptically because that's what a parable is it's cryptic yeah. it's not it's not plain speak yep it's the opposite it's coded language yeah. So when Jesus talks about the parable of the prodigal son, or when Jesus talks about the, you know, the the uh the you know the 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 I'm trying to think of the name of the parable where okay. you know no one puts a light under a basket and and all these yeah. other things. He's he is referencing things indirectly rather than directly. And that is in concert with the Old Testament and with the the way that uh, that that God spoke through the prophets yeah. was was so esoteric. And why is it the glory of God to conceal a thing? I don't know, but it is. Well, he can he can see. Well, I think it's 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 because people like yourself or you know researchers or like maybe like myself or whatever you know we, we're digging deep and deep to find out what what is hidden. You know, so I think it's the glory of God because it's um it's because uh there's some people that are on the surface Christians that'll just go on Sundays, let their pastor teach them, and then that's all they need. But there's some people that that want to keep digging and digging and digging. If the pastor teaches them something, you dig what even what he said, and you're still digging just to find out what the scriptures are saying. So I think it's the glory of God because uh, some people are uh, want to find out what is hidden. Some people just don't care. They just want to receive grace and and they just want to stay at that level. There's different levels to this, I think. So 
I think it's uh I think that's part of it, you know. What do, what do but, you think? Well, I think that first of all that I don't I don't know. I don't know why why God communicates to mankind this way except to say that if God were to communicate to a particular generation using their nomenclature using the things that are f strictly familiar to them then what is said to them runs the risk of only being relevant to them in other words of losing its meaning over time yeah and that's the power of symbols see that's why the bible use is so symbolic that's why there's so many that's why symbolism is 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 so um is so broadly employed in in the scriptures is because symbols as long as you know what the symbol means symbols are not like language they don't change they're ancient yep. they remain the same and so um ancient symbols i mean and so we can understand things, we can still unpack information that was communicated to Bronze or Iron Age people. And in, and in the modern time, as long as we have the tools to do it, as long as we are make ourselves familiar with history, for example, we can still unpack the meaning of things based on symbols. Mm -hmm. but, but language is not like that. Language gets changes, it's in flux. Language is constantly in flux. Yeah. And things change, and the meanings of words change, and there's no way to know what certain things meant in the past and how certain things were expressed because language is so fluid. Yeah, but that is not the nature na nature of of icons and symbols. Uh, um, and so that's one of the reason why why one of the reasons why prophecy incorporates symbolism so heavily, and it does. I mean. Um, and not just prophecy, by the way, not just prophecy. I, I think there's a way more symbolism in the Old Testament than we think. In fact, I reference a, and I know this is difficult for for uh, people who subscribe to Flat Earth, but I I reference. I don't. I didn't write about this in the book, but I def. But I. But I. I reference this often when I speak in, uh, um, when I speak to people in interviews because it's so astounding to me and it sort of illustrates my point here um and you'll have to bear with me uh, i'm not used to thinking this deeply this late <laughs> um uh it's okay <laughs> so you have this you know you have the story the famous story in in the old testament of abraham and isaac uh -huh. and abraham is told to take his son his only son his beloved son and and go to Mount Moriah, and so Abraham obeys God, and he takes his son, and he's told to prepare for a sacrifice, and he so he takes with him the appropriate things, and obviously right off the bat, when God tells Abraham, take your son, your beloved son, your only son, we know right off the bat that this is a foreshadowing of the Son of God, yeah. that what's about to play out is a foreshadowing of, of God's own son, his beloved son. Which is exactly what Abraham and Isaac that that uh, that incident is. So Abraham takes his son and takes him to Mount Moriah, and we all know the story. He realizes that 
it's his son that is the sacrifice. And because Abraham believes God, has faith in God, and is faithful to God, he proceeds to lay his son on the altar. After he builds the altar, he lays his son on the altar. His son realizes that he's the sacrifice and willingly, willingly lays down on the altar, <clears throat> mm -hmm. which is, of course, foreshadowing Christ, willingly going to the cross. Yep. And when Abraham raises his hand to thrust the knife into his son's heart so that he could be offered up as a burnt offering, he hears a voice that tells him to stay his hand. And, and that God has provided the sacrifice. Yep. And of course, he, he looks over and what does he see? He sees a ram with its horns stuck in the bushes. Now, and obviously Abraham and Isaac sacrificed the ram mm -hmm. and uh, rather, than, rather than Isaac. Now, we all know, in hindsight, we all know, because of the New Testament, that that, that whole scenario was, was a play act designed to anticipate God's only son being becoming the sacrifice, the willing sacrifice for our sin, right? We know that. Now, Abraham probably didn't, but we do. So that right there is, the, is a basic interpretation of what that story means, and that is the correct interpretation. However, what most people don't realize, in fact, I would say hardly anyone, and uh, I only came to this realization because I read the most difficult book I've ever read in my entire life. And uh, it's called Hamlet's Mill. And it is an extremely difficult. I do not recommend <laughs> reading Hamlet's Mill. It's ten a times very difficult than, like, read. King James Version Bible or something. <laughs> oh, it's 10 times worse than that. But it is, it is a very important book. And, uh, and it's, it's really in some ways, it's, it's, it's a very it's it's a genius uh, work, and it's written by two authors. And so, anyway, getting back to the story here. So we all understand in hindsight that that was represented that God was sending His only begotten Son, His beloved Son, to willingly die on the cross for our sins. However, what we miss, and perhaps what was, and I would say, likely not missed by the ancients, but what we miss today is that. The very time, let's put it this way, we miss the timestamp that is encoded in that story. We miss it, but it's there. That story, there's an indication in the story of exactly when God would send his son. So not only would the wise understand, and I'm sure that Maybe even Abraham understood, but I'm sure that some understood that God was going to send his only son and probably were able to comprehend when he was going to do this, partly because of what I'm about to say. So the timestamp in the story of when God's only begotten son would come to the earth to take away our sins and offer himself up as a sacrifice has to do with the ram that's stuck in the bushes. Mm. And I don't know if you've ever wondered this, but I remember when I was a, a little kid and 
my mom read me that story, I was, of course, familiar with the, the Lamb of God, that Jesus was the Lamb of God. My mom, you know, would have this, she had this picture in her room of, of Jesus carrying a lamb, and it was in reference to the parable of the lost sheep, and that Jesus would leave all the sheep, the 99, to go and find the yep. one that was lost. And, yep. and then she would also tell me, and Jesus is the Lamb of God. Yep. And so I remember always associating Jesus with the Lamb of God, and rightly so. Um, and so it struck me as odd that when God provided a sacrifice to go along with this foreshadowing of what he was about to do with his own son, that he provided a ram instead of a lamb. Mm. And now people say, well, it's the same animal. It is the same animal. But, uh, but, but, the, but, but the remember in Revelation that John sees a lamb as if it was slain. Remember in Revelation, yeah. the song of the lamb. And so you yeah, have... Yeah, yeah. You have Christ being represented as a lamb. And so you would think that it would be most appropriate for it to be a lamb in the bush. That would that would complete mm -hmm. that would complete the the message, right? Yeah. But it's not. It's a ram. And I always it stayed with me. And then again, it dawned on me as I was reading this very difficult book that that was a timestamp. And that the fact that it was a ram is very important. Mm. Now, this gets technical and it gets difficult. But, and let me see if I can uh, do this at uh, 11 p.m. <laughs> it's all right. Um, it's... <laughs> so there's something called, and I know, again, you know, I know that you have a flat earth cosmology, but, the, but let's just call this food for thought for you. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. So there's something <laughs> called the procession of the equinox. And the procession of the equinox is based on the wobble of the earth. The earth wobbles like a top. Mm -hmm. And of course, it's on, on an inclination, wobbles like a top. And the ancients knew this. They could calculate that wobble. In fact, it was central to their calculation of time. And it's that's what most of the megaliths and everything are, are, are aligned, not just to constellations, but precisely to um, precession. Mm -hmm. axial precession and and different celestial phenomena um, to do with axial precession. So it's called axial precession. The axis of the earth wobbles, axial precession. Now that wobble, it, it's, a, it's a very, very, very slow wobble. And it takes 26,000 years to complete one full rotation of that wobble. That's called a great year. Again, the ancients knew this, even the number. 26,000 years to, 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 to accomplish that wobble. And the ancients, and this is almost ubiquitous, by the way, all, among the, the major ancient civilizations, they broke this wobble up, this, this pro procession up into pieces. And so, um, and it corresponded to what was what was essentially the wheel of time which we know as the zodiac which the hebrews knew as the matzeroth mm. and the zodiac is not astrology the zodiac is a timepiece it's a timepiece now astrology is when you try and make predictions and you and you do divination that's astrology yeah but but the Zodiac is a timepiece. And 
again, it's the Matzeroth in, in with the Hebrews, it was called the Matzeroth. Same thing, same symbols. And and it's divided into 12 parts, and it corresponds to the procession of the equinox. And each of those 12 zodiacal houses represents an age. For those who are unfamiliar with the zodiac, it represents an age. And the ages are are represented by by symbols as well. So, for example, you have the age of Taurus, which is represented by a bull. You have the age of Aquarius, which is represented by a man carrying water or a water jug. You have the age of Leo, which is represented by a lion, and so forth. Yeah. So, so it's there's twelve houses of the zodiac. And each of these houses represents a distinctive age, and each of these ages takes exactly 2,160 years to complete. And when you add that all up, you get 26,000 years, and, and you get um, 70 degrees in each one. And it's and it's all very complex. But just understand that it, 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 it there are 12 houses, 12 zodiacal houses representing an age of 2160 years mm -hmm. and this is how the ancients calculated time one of the ways that they calculated time and so they knew what age they were in so returning to the ram the ram is a symbol in the zodiac and in the matzeroth the ram is aries and represents the age of aries now the way that you know what age what it's called the precessional age what precessional age you are currently in is on the vernal equinox which is the spring equinox you look due east and just about a half an hour before the rising of the sun there's going to be a constellation sitting on the horizon mm -hmm. and that and that constellation, constellation rises just before the sun. So the sun rises right after it, right below it. And that constellation corresponds to one of the houses of the zodiac. It's one of those symbols. And that tells you what age you're in because it moves. Mm -hmm. And so it, it stays there. For example, we're in Pisces. So if you look due east on the vernal equinox, spring equinox, half an hour before dawn, you are going to see the constellation of Pisces because we are in the age of Pisces still, although we're at the very end of it and that's got prophetic ramifications. So we're in the age of Pisces at the very end of it. And it takes 2,160 years to go through that age. All right. So now let's go back to the Ram. Uh, no, before we go back to the Ram, now, so you have this constellation up here. You have the sun rising. This constellation tells us where we are, what age we're in. And, and there's another constellation below it. And the sun is blocking that constellation. And the ancients called that, con referred to that constellation or that age. It represented an age. So it's one of those 12 symbols, one of the constellations that, that corresponds with one of the 12 symbols in the zodiac. The ancients referred to that constellation as being sacrificed in the sun, in the fire. Why? Because the sun is blocking it. Mm -hmm. You follow me? Yeah. I know this is all you. very complicated. Bro, but it's, it's okay. I'm totally, I'm totally following what you're saying. So don't. So, do so that constellation is blocked <laughs> by this is blocked by the sun. It's being consumed in the sun. And furthermore, the ancients would say in different ways, 
the ancients would say that 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 constellation, that zodiacal marker, is is affixed to the sacrificial post because it's consumed in the sun, right? So here it is. It's being consumed in the sun. It can't move. It's the sun is consuming and it's being sacrificed. And it's furthermore, it's affixed. It's mm. stuck. It cannot move, right? And so the constellation above that is the age you're in. Now, I didn't make this up. This is yeah. very, very ancient knowledge, pre-flood knowledge, probably going all the way back. I would, I would, I would say very confidently, actually, going all the way back to Adam. He knew this. And so why do I say all that? Because I'm about to tell you a piece of this prophecy that hardly anybody knows. Yeah. And it is this. The ram represents the constellation of Aries. The ram, its horns are fixed. They're stuck in the bushes. And so that's a timestamp. That ram represents Aries. Now, when was Christ born? Christ was born. His birth corresponded, I believe, inaugurated the age of Pisces. And people can look all of this up. It's 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 standard uh, knowledge today that we're in the age of Pisces, and the vast majority of us of astronomers will um, agree that we are in the age of Pisces and that the age of Pisces began sometime around 5 BC to 1 AD, right in the time when Christ was born. Christ was probably born five, 4 or 5 BC. Yeah. Okay? And so the birth of Christ corresponded with the beginning, the inauguration, the, the, the initiation of the age in which we now live. So, having understood all of that, we have the ram whose horns are stuck in the bush. Guess what constellation is being consumed in the sacrificial fire? Guess which constellation is affixed to the sacrificial post? Is it the ram? When the Wait. age of Pisces is inaugurated. Yeah, it's got to be the ram, yeah. It's, it's Aries. It's wow the ram okay so now the angel of the lord was there as well i don't know if you take it as the it doesn't say like an angel of the lord it says the angel of the lord so some people do believe because that's like the messenger of the lord uh it's all part of the pre-incarnate christ it could have a lot been, of yeah you know it could have been him there witnessing that that's right and stopping that's him. right it could have been it and that and that's interesting too because if he's there seeing that person seeing human beings actually do that like putting up their the only begotten his only begotten son, you know, too. It's it's just to see that I think is well, is incredible too. Well, think know? about this. What think about what I just told you? So yeah, Abraham and Isaac. We know you and I know everyone. Most Christians understand today that that is representative of the Father giving is going to yeah. offer up his only begotten son, and so and yeah. and so on and so forth. What we've already discussed. But how many people realize that he time stamped it? Yeah. And he told us, I've never heard it before. And he told sure. us exactly, exactly when yeah. his son would appear. That his son would appear when Aries is stuck in the bush, is, is affixed to the sacrificial post. Mm -hmm. And that is the beginning of Pisces. When did Christ come? 
When was he born into the earth? The beginning of Pisces. His birth corresponded with the age in which we now live. And who showed up at, at Christ's birth or within a few years? Mm -hmm. The wise men yep. from the East. Yeah. They knew yeah. that the beginning of Pisces. Too. The Magi is like magicians. Yeah, they're not. They knew. <laughs> they knew that the inauguration of the age of Pisces would bring forth an eternal king that it would correspond to the birth of an eternal king and plus there was other celestial phenomenon that confirmed that yeah and that but but i'm telling you part of the reason why they knew it i believe is because they were familiar with the story of abraham and isaac and they knew they recognized the time stamp in that story so not only did you know if you were wise and you could unpack what was being said yeah. not only did you know that god was going to provide his only begotten son to die in our place as to, to, to sacrifice, to become the sacrifice, willing sacrifice for our sin, like Isaac. But you knew when. Mm -hmm. See, that's the nature of prophecy. And I went through that whole long thing because probably most of your viewers and listeners are not familiar with that. And I wasn't familiar with that my entire life. I had yeah. no idea about any of that. And you know what? I could not understand any of that unless, unless I learned about the procession of the equinoxes, which I didn't do until some years ago when I read this really difficult book and was determined to understand this. And then what do I find? Boom. I find this timestamp from God in that story telling us precisely when his son was going to show up that to me is quite astounding yeah because incredible yeah what separates the bible what separates the hebrew bible and even the new testament from from every other religious text on earth is that the bible predicts the future with yeah. one 100% accuracy, that the Bible makes prophetic enunciations that come to pass. There is no other book on the face of the planet that does that. Amen. Why? Because if God is going to communicate to mankind and he's outside of time, how does he authenticate the communication? Yeah. By telling us the things which have not yet come to pass. Yep. Amen. That's how you authenticate, authenticate the mind of God from the mind of man. He yeah. can tell us in advance. That's the stamp of authentication because nobody else can do that. Not the devil and his angels. Nobody else can do that except for God. Yep. Not even Jesus knows the time of his return. I know. He says Only that. the Father knows because yeah. the Father is outside of time. He sees yeah. it as a panorama. Yeah. Like and he's ordained it. Right? And yeah. so because he's the author of the entire thing, he's the only one who can tell us in advance what's coming, but he doesn't do it in plain speak. Yeah. He, he encrypts the information and it must be decoded by the wise and you need information in order to decode all of it. And yeah. sometimes that information is not readily available and sometimes it is, but, but you know what, you know, what's made plain and decoded for us who are Christians is the gospel of Jesus Christ Amen. and everything yeah. pertaining to him. Why? Because the apostles unfold it to us in the New Testament. It's decoded by them to us. Yep. So the gospel of Christ is made plain to mankind. That's the one thing that God made sure that everyone can understand is the gospel of his son. It yep. is 
as plain as day in the scriptures, not as plain to those who lived before the age of Pisces, before Christ, but made plain to those who would live after and during. Jesus himself opened the scriptures and said, these are those which speak of me. And then the apostles demonstrated how those scriptures pertain to Christ. And so we now understand, because we have been initiated into the gospel of Christ through the reading of the scriptures and the hearing of the gospel and believing, we understand that those things pointed to Christ, referring to the, some of those Old Testament prophecies, so many of them actually. But how much, and this is a question, how much is still there that we don't understand? A, because we see the zip folder and we think that that's the information, that superficial piece of data, that's the information. And so we walk away thinking that we understand, when in reality, we don't, because you have to unzip the folder. You have to unpack the information. Returning to the cherub with the four faces, now I can reference this. And this and this dawned on me as I was reading David Flynn's work. I don't know if you've ever read Sidonia, this the, no. the um the Secret Chronicles of Mars. I suggest you read it. Sidonia, the Secret Chronicles of Mars by David Flynn. Phenomenal book. Extremely it's more difficult than my book. Extremely difficult to read because Flynn is thinking on a level and you have to kind of catch up. Yeah. And he's making assumptions that 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 the audience understands certain things when in reality he was thinking you know 10 steps ahead and it takes i, I had to read that book like five times mm. and so this dawned on me when reading flynn's book that and and in fact i believe even david flynn makes reference to this the late david flynn he died um in 2012 i think the the cherubim when i was growing up the four faces of the cherubim always always baffled me and my father would always tell me you know we would read those scriptures and he would always encourage me to be fascinated with this isn't this so cool that these beings are around the throne of god and and you know it's like a science fiction novel there's these creatures with four face faces and so i was walked away with the impression that this was an anatomical representation of physical of real beings mm -hmm. and then i sort of had to slam on the brakes and go back and rethink that perspective after being exposed to Flynn and some other things and, and realize that the four faces of the cherubim represent the four cardinal directions of the Zodiac. You have the face of a man. Uh, you have the face of a lion. You have the face of an eagle. And you have the face of an ox. And those represent the four cardinal directions of the zodiac you have the face of the man being aquarius you have the face of the uh the bull being taurus you have the face of the eagle now this one's a little bit tricky because of the a little a little nuance between the matzeroth and the zodiac see the eagle represents scorpio in and and it's represented as scorpio is represented by an eagle in 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 some ancient context and in fact it's sometimes represented as a dual symbol between a scorpion and an eagle and and was in to the ancient hebrews it was represented as an eagle so you have the face of an eagle which represents scorpio and then you have the face of a lion which represents leo so when that happens 
when you discover something like that and you and you say hold on a minute this idea that this is an anatomical description of a creature that's the zipped folder mm -hmm. that's the that's the name on that zipped folder that's not the information that's the superficial facade in order to understand the communication because that's what prophecy is is it not yeah. it's a communication it's a cryptic esoteric communication and whatever is delivered in the context of prophecy must be interpreted, understood, unpacked, decoded. Automatically, these guys, these prophets, are having visions and dreams and virtual reality scenarios, basically. And so they're being given information in, a, in such a way that they're engaging with it, with their perception but that does not mean that what they're seeing is literal. It means rather what they're seeing is a, what they're receiving through this perceptual experience is a message. A message for them, but also a message that's going to move through time uncorrupted. That's why it's being delivered in the package of symbolism. And that kind of goes back to answering your question in the beginning, why I think God does that. So, so when you look at the cherubim, now whenever I, in the context of prophetic iconography, whenever I encounter something, I don't say, wow, there's this creature with four faces. Cherubim have four faces and eyes all around. Now I say, what the heck does that mean? Weren't, the, weren't those also like a symbols of the flags for, for, for different tribes of Israel too? Yes, they were. Yeah, so they were yes. that as well? That's yeah, right. I thought that was it. Yeah, I thought that was That's right. So, and right. so remember, remember, God created the timepiece. Yeah. He's telling us whenever you have whenever you have celestial phenomena involved in prophecy, whether it be whether it be zodiacal figures, zodiacal symbols, or whatever, we're talking about time. Time. And so there's time all over these prophecies that we haven't even realized yet. Why? Because we're Westerners. We don't think, we don't understand the symbology, uh, the symbolism anymore. We don't understand the cultural context of the ancient Near East, but you can. And when you do, you begin to unpack these things because cherubim were not exclusive to Hebrews. In fact, they predated Hebrews. The symbol of the cherubim what is, is in ancient Egypt. It's in Sumeria, and of course later Babylon. It's in Acadia. These are ancient, ancient symbols that existed in the world when Abraham was, was living in the land of Ur. Mm -hmm. You understand? Before there was such thing as a Hebrew. Yeah. Before there was such thing as, as, a, as a Jewish people. Abraham was living in the land of Ur, and there were cherubim painted on the walls. Why? Because that is the symbolism that God used to communicate to his prophets because they were familiar with those things and what they represented. They were familiar with them. They were ensconced in this symbolism. And so God took the symbolism and he used it to communicate his message to them in the form of prophecy. 
And that message had to be decoded and unpacked. Why did I go through all this lengthy thing? Maybe your <laughs> viewers and listeners are going to be like, their 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 brains are going to be bleeding right now and boredom. Uh, but no, the, the not point... boredom. No, 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 no. This is definitely not boredom. Now we're speaking about scriptures, prophecy. This is all stuff that we all need to hear. So not boredom. No, the reason, and I didn't plan on talking about any of this, by the way. But <laughs> no, I was I was going to talk about UFOs and aliens, and we got this is awesome. Hey, I'm going to definitely name this birthright though. That's going to be the. Uh, is that okay if I use that? For I don't care. Okay. Whatever show? you want. Yeah, because we kind of that all this stuff is entailed in your book, basically, right? So if I'm yeah, yeah, okay well, yeah, that not that, not the not the thing I said about Abraham and Isaac. That oh, that yeah, occurred yeah. to me after I wrote the book, but <laughs> I wish I would have thought of that. But but you know, the point is, I'm what I'm trying to do. I'm not trying to change anybody's mind or convince anybody of anything. What I'm trying to do is expand our minds mm -hmm. and our understanding, so that we realize that the scriptures are way deeper than we think. Yeah. That there's a whole lot of time that's being indicated accurately in the Old Testament through symbolism that we haven't even understood yet. Yeah. And in the New Testament, we, we haven't understood yet because we are wet. We are looking at this from Western perspective. As I said in the beginning, we are used to plain speak. We are not used to esotericism. Our minds are, we have an aversion to it. But unfortunately for us, that is the way that God communicates with mankind. How do I know that God communicates with mankind in this way? Because he doesn't, he doesn't show up in a blinding flash of light in the sky and talk to everybody and tell everybody what to do. Yeah. You have to perceive him in creation, and you can. And it's yeah. evident that God is manifest in creation. Yep. And he's speaking to you in these indirect ways. And that's the way that God has chosen to communicate. Why? Because, because it is the glory of God to conceal a thing. Mm -hmm. And and so this is the nature of the way that God communicates. So having said that, that's the way that I approach the Bible. I do not look at the Bible, and this isn't the Bible, this is my book. I do not look at <laughs> pretending this is the Bible. I don't look at the Bible as a relic. There's two ways you can look at the Bible. You can view it as a relic, or you can view it as a message. People living in the Middle Ages viewed it as a relic. Mm -hmm. It was a relic. It was a holy relic. It wasn't even to be understood or even read by the laity. It was a relic. It was a holy relic. God's word. This is a relic. And even many evangelicals today view it that way. And I'm certainly not saying that I don't have reverence for the word of God. Rather, I view the Bible as a message. There's not much you can do with a relic. But if you can understand the message, then the purpose of the Bible is accomplished in your life because you've understood the message. And it is the message that matters more than anything else. And first and foremost, the message of the scriptures, first and foremost, is communicating the gospel of Christ. Yeah. That is the that is the primary purpose of the Bible, is to communicate the gospel of Christ, Old and New Testament, to communicate the gospel of Christ to mankind, number one. But it also communicates the nature of God. It also communicates to us, the nature of man, historical things, and all kinds of other things. Now, full circle back to Jesus, the Son of God, 
walking amongst us, walking among us on earth. He's the maker. He's the architect of the universe. He didn't tell us about viruses. He didn't tell us about atoms. He didn't tell us about electricity. He didn't tell us about in the future, you're going to create this thing called the internet. He didn't tell us about physics. He didn't tell us about any of the sciences that we know today. He's the architect of the universe. He knows everything yeah. about the universe, but he tells us nothing about the universe because that was not the message he was there to communicate. Rather, what he was there to communicate was the good news, the hope of the gospel, the redemption of mankind, that mankind would be redeemed and brought back into the family of God because Adam was divorced from the family of God in the beginning. He was sundered from the family of God. So through Christ, we are redeemed and reconciled to God. Reconciliation means to be brought back into friendship, be brought back into relationship with God so that we might be restored to everything that was lost in Adam. That was the good news. Jesus, we're the prodigal son. He brings us back to the Father. Yeah. That yeah. is what he communicated to us primarily. Other things as well, but that is primarily what he communicated to us. This is the architect of the universe but yet well, he doesn't he doesn't tell us about i mean he well, doesn't he doesn't me, tell us about like i said the reason why i said viruses is because he he doesn't explain to mankind well, that here, people the, are getting sick because of infection with with microorganisms and so forth and and that would seem like the most about like wow that's super valuable information for the architect <laughs> of the universe but that was not the message that was not the important message because we're all temporal. We're all going to die anyway. The important message is redemption, reconciliation, and restoration. That was the message. And yeah. so that is what was communicated to us. And so I, I think, think that's important too. Go ahead. I'm I sorry. Do. And that is and the good news, yeah, definitely the gospel message. I I personally believe that he did tell us he, he told us exactly about the universe, in my opinion, but I mean how he created it, the moon, the sun, and the stars. Uh, the firmament, all that stuff. I mean, I, I I take that part. So so in my recollection and the way I view it, I think he told us a lot about it. But you 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 do have a point. He didn't tell us about viruses, but it does talk about you know you're gonna you know it does it does talk about um, certain things in the Bible. But yeah, it doesn't it doesn't tell you about in atoms. very cryptic ways. Yeah 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 in cryptic ways. So um, but I I do believe that you know as far as the universe I do believe in Genesis it kind of does tell us that you know the moon sun and the stars tells you when it was created um, uh, you know that it, it talks about certain things for me when I read it um, but yeah as far as like like but I do I do believe you know viruses and the stuff that you were mentioning the atoms and and uh, you know DNA at crime scenes and forensics and there's there's a whole different thing that that has come up and and I'm glad that God is using those scientists for good you know. Uh, for me, the stuff that kind of gets under my skin is when people come up with like theories, you know, that, that go against God, you know, and, and that type of stuff, that's not like testable, repeatable, and provable. that type of science for me gets under my skin, you know, big bang theories and, 
evolution theories, that's the type of stuff that I, I kind of study to find out what the Bible says about that. But yeah, you're, you're right. And the good news is the gospel message. Jesus was, that's what the whole, you know, the old Testament is talking about Jesus and, and the gospel. The good news is definitely the, the most important meat and potatoes and also the prophecies of what's going to happen when Jesus does come back. And uh, everything you were saying, man, a lot of that stuff, man, that's deep, man, that when you're talking about uh, Abraham's story, I, I've never heard that before, man. And that's so deep, brother. So I, and I you know, appreciate and you know, the, that. I, the, really, the reason why I went through, I guess I, I took this this course of thought this evening tonight is because what I'm trying to communicate is this, essentially, this is what I'm trying to say, and not just to you, but to me, to everyone, is that. The gospel of Christ has been made plain to all mankind. It was a mystery. It was a mystery in the beginning, but it was it was encoded in the beginning and decoded by Christ Himself and His disciples. And so it's made plain for all to see and understand. Jesus said when He was walking with the the, the men on the road to Emmaus, going pouring over the scriptures, He 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 told them, "These are those which speak of Me." Or the or the or the compendium of this book basic basically speak points to me. And so we know that, we understand that. We don't have to wonder about the gospel of Christ because it has been made plain. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to submit to you that in regards to the firmament and all this other stuff, all of that is in flux in terms of our perception of it, because it's not been made as plain as you may think. And there are many different points of view, perspectives, and people who would say, for example, I'll use Hugh Ross again, um, that they have on every point that you could raise on whatever on whatever we want to talk about, whether it be the shape of the earth or mm -hmm. the creation, the six day creation, what have you, re regarding the, the the creation of the universe. Um, for every point, there is a valid counterpoint. Not not an invalid counterpoint, not NAS, not not bringing in NASA or something. I'm talking about within the text. There is a valid counterpoint from a different point of view mm -hmm. by very competent people. And there are multiple views that are in play. And so I try not to be dogmatic about things um, that don't pertain to the gospel, but very dogmatic about the gospel of Christ because it has been made plain. And so um, that's my, my, I view the, again, I view the Bible as a message rather than a relic. Mm -hmm. And for me, that means that I'm always wanting to hear what's being communicated. And usually, maybe I shouldn't, shouldn't say usually, I should say often, often what's being communicated is, is, beneath the superficial narrative it's deep under it's encrypted and it has to be encrypted it has to be decoded um uh for us to to extract the full understanding of what's of what's being said and so i encourage people to approach not just i'm not just talking again i'm not just talking about uh um i should say that i'm not just talking about uh the shape of the earth or something i'm talking about 
prophecies. I'm talking, people take hardcore positions on all kinds of things. My God. I mean, you know, you talk about the, 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 the tribulational debates out there. <laughs> people take hardcore positions and I'm just standing back. Pre-rapture, post-rapture. Exactly. Uh, so I'm, yeah, yeah, I know. I know. So as it pertains to all of that, I'm more of an agnostic um, looking for the message because if I can find the message, then I, then I've, then, then, then I've, I've, I've found what is of value, most value, I should say. I've discovered what's of most value if I can find the message. Um, and so I try not to, uh, to become again dogmatic about anything but the gospel. And so I allow myself to be to be available and open to a lot of different perspectives, and I allow my own perspective to be fluid, so that if I'm holding on to this perspective and then suddenly some information comes my way or I read some scriptures in a way that I never had before and I start to think about things differently, I can easily and comfortably pivot mm -hmm. without losing my faith or my identity mm. because my identity is not wrapped up in a particular way I view the Bible. That's a relic. That's 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 the perspective of the Bible being a relic. My perspective is is my identity is wrapped up in Christ mm -hmm. and the person of Christ and the gospel of Christ. That's where I anchor. That's yeah. what the truth is to me. So if someone says, you know, because you can say, well, you don't believe the Bible because you don't believe X, Y, and Z, or you, or you don't believe because you don't believe X, Y, and Z with different opinions. But, but the only thing that makes me a Christian is that I believe in Christ, His mm -hmm. that he was, that he was, that crucified on the cross, buried, and resurrected on the third day, and I put my faith and my hope in Christ. That's what makes me what I am in terms of a believer. Not these yeah. other things. Not my perspective on Genesis or my perspective on the rapture. None of that makes me who I am. And by the way, none of that makes you and I related in the faith either. The only thing, the connective tissue that counts between believers is their faith in Christ, full stop. Mm -hmm. And now there's other issues, you know, that may may enter into the picture that could could cause you to question someone's faith. Um, you know, obviously, people who live in abject sin and claim to believe in Christ, that's a contradiction. Yeah. So I'm not talking about that. Yeah. I know um, what you mean. I definitely do. And I understand. I, I look at it as all scriptures inspired by God. I, I think I look at it, I guess in your terms would be more, I, I love the message, but I, I think I look at it like, like uh, it's all in, inspired by God and it's all, all God's word. Um, I'm sure you think of it the same way, but yeah. But even though we differ on certain things, bro, I think this is a great episode and I really appreciate you coming and, and you're very intellectual. You're very intelligent. I'm a, a army veteran, you know, I'm military. Um, some of the stuff that you're saying is, is, is very deep and, and, and I love it, man. I appreciate it. Even though we don't believe in the same cosmology, it's okay, man. We're, we're just, I we believe in the learn. same Christ. Yeah, exactly. We believe in Christ. And also, I mean, I have your book now. I'm going to, I'm going to read into it. And, and, and I don't, I'm not like, I don't get mad at somebody. Hey, you don't believe this. You don't believe that. Now I do get deep into like when, when I, in discussions about, uh, you know, the shapes of the earth with some people, but I'm not, uh, I'm not like, um, you know, if somebody believes that it's a globe and it's, and it's a universe, I'm not, you know, I, I want to learn, uh, more stuff as well. So, um, I appreciate you coming on, man. And, and I really thought this was an intelligent and awesome conversation. Um, I was listening and learning as you were speaking and, and I thought that was, 
uh, awesome about the, that you got into Abraham and, and uh, you know, we got into some good stuff, I think. So I appreciate you coming on. I think we're at about an hour and a half on the show. Um, I would like to have you back on Tim, if that's okay. Um, I think, well, you know, I, I, I derailed our conversation here by diving into all this uh, <laughs> oh, no, we were esoteric just stuff. So, so, uh, so I, I, I will commit to you to come back and to have that conversation about aliens. You know, it's funny. It's always <laughs> seems to be the way it is with me. People want to talk about aliens and I, and I do too, believe me, I love talking about aliens, but I just wanted to find always out, end up, yeah. <laughs> I always end up derailing the conversation with something else and, okay. and then having to, and then having to <laughs> promise the person that I'll come back on to actually talk about what, uh, what they wanted to talk about. So. So <laughs> that's my commitment. I I will do a, a second round. I mean, if your audience even wants me to come on for a second round to talk about uh, uh, my my view on the on the alien question. Um, OK, well, I think well, my audience would. I mean, I've already had like probably four or five people request you. I've had people hit me up on Instagram, like trying to send me your information, like, hey, you got to get a hold of them. I'm like, I'm trying to. And, and I appreciate you getting back to me. You know, I, I know we're, we're trying to set a date for a little bit, but um. I appreciate you coming back, uh, getting back to me and coming on, you know, I really do. And, um, uh, so maybe I'll try to set something for maybe March. I'll, I'll, I'll hit you up on Instagram and let you know. Okay. Okay. I'm booked all the way to the, to the, till March right now. So yeah, I appreciate it. And I always like to end it in prayer. So, um, we'll do that right sure. now. And, uh, father God, in the name of Jesus, I appreciate you giving us a, a clear, uh, you know, a clear zoom, uh, call clear communications, uh, I just want to say I appreciate everything you do for us, Lord. Thank you for connecting us with Timothy. Uh, anybody out there, I, I always I always say this. You know, if anybody has any anything that uh, that's 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 holding them down, any sin that's holding them down, um, anything that's chaining them down right now, Lord, please, I just ask you to please uh, unbind the chains and uh, and help anybody out. And Lord, I appreciate everything you do for us. Thank you so much for giving us your Son Jesus Christ for dying on the cross for us. Uh, and raising again after three days. I appreciate uh, everything that was created through him, by him, for him, Lord. Everything we spoke about tonight, uh, I appreciate you, uh, you know, giving us this information, this knowledge, and and this uh, this book, this birthright book that you 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 inspired Timothy to write. I appreciate that, and I'm going to try to dig into that as I'm reading the Bible and try to find out exactly what he's trying to say here. Uh, thank you for giving him this information. Uh, thank you so much, Lord, for everything you do for us. I love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. all right timothy thank you so much and everybody that's listening please uh subscribe uh share the podcast and um and also if you like you can mirror this on on your on your channel if you'd like or uh you can use this any way you like you know okay. and, I'll, and I'll, I'll send Appreciate you the video it. and uh god bless everybody and thank you so much for listening